0: Hi, everybody. I think we're just waiting for Dr. McMakin to join us. I hope everybody's doing great. It's the Kim show for the next uh, minute or so. There were a lot of great questions that came in already. So I'm going to gather those up while we wait for the real star of the show to join us and we can get started. I'll take care of Kevin's job. If you're joining us and you already have questions, you can go ahead and pop those in the uh, question and answer or the chat so we can see them as we go. We've got a lot of really cool things to talk about once again today, but if you have a question that um, you haven't submitted yet on the forums or through Facebook or through Instagram or all those other ways that you've been submitting questions, and you're with us live. Go ahead and pop those in the Q A and chat whenever you feel like it. And we typically try to look at it as we go um, to make sure everybody gets their questions answered.
1: Hi, I
0: think you're muted. There you go.
1: Hardly ever. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and try.
0: (laughs) Oh, my. I just did my little uh, solo because I was talking to myself for a minute. So I just said to everybody, you know, just ask your questions. Do your thing.
1: Well, we have three minutes left. We were in the middle of another meeting. I also required Zoom.
0: Yes. Well, Mm. you're high in demand.
1: Well, it's it's Wednesday is meeting day. Yes. There we go. Yes. Oh, you've got your nifty necklace on. You do. Yay. It's my Scorpio
0: necklace.
1: Yay! And we're Yay. both blue today. What's up with that?
0: Well, we have this thing, right? Yeah, we. Uh huh. It's a thing. It's a mind melt thing. Yeah. I love it. My list is exploding today.
1: Oh, okay then.
0: Okay. It was a busy week.
1: Yeah, yes it was.
0: And I'm going to be selfish because I have a personal list that I need to discuss today.
1: Okay. So it's yeah. all about me.
0: It is my birthday, so it's all about me day today. Is
1: it your birthday?
0: It is this this day.
1: This day, happy birthday! I'm so glad you were born. Thank Bless you. Me. I'm pretty glad I was born too. And you just so you know, I I'm terrible at birthdays, so I have to put it in the calendar. Otherwise, like I yeah,
0: I hear you. I have the exact same problem, so I had to put. Not only in the calendar, but an alarm with the calendar, because sometimes I just like, yeah, yeah, go yeah. through it. So no, so it's all about me day today. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> You've had a good couple of days. You look rested and um, rejuvenated.
1: Slight suntan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Came home to fifty degrees and pouring rain and wind. Yes. How was your wind rainstorm?
0: Um, terrible half of my neighbor's tree collapsed um, into my backyard so oops it was crazy um my flight got canceled and then the next one was canceled and then I was rerouted and it was delayed but I got home yay with throughout the worst turbulence I've ever had in my entire life
1: oh my god I was
0: that person like hanging on to the back of my um, uh, seat on the plane. Yeah. So, yeah. Trying really hard not to throw up. Trying really hard not to throw up, wishing that my custom care wasn't above me, that I would have had it on to run like PTSD or something.
1: Yeah. The worst one I've ever had was flying into Washington, D.C. And about, I don't know, 45 minutes out. We hit turbulence and you're still at, you're coming down, you're about 25,000 feet, got really bumpy. They still had our, our desktops down. My laptop was on my, on the tray table in front of me. Yeah. We hit an air pocket that dropped us, had to be 10,000 feet because my laptop floated off. It floated off the tray table. It floated. Oh. And then it went slamming down. The, the stewardesses said, said, put everything away. They strapped in. We, we were left to put our stuff away. And we were on the ground in something wow. like three minutes. It's kind of like the plane said to the tower, we're coming in now. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. 10,000 drop and then another five. Jeez. I was like in a 747, 737. Yuck. Yuck. Anyway. Anyway. What's on your
0: list? So I want to start with something fun. Okay. And then we're going to get into more um, serious stuff as we go. How about that? Okay. So I have really noticed in the last week, we have a lot of, um, Patients listening um, and joining us on um, the podcast later. It feels like our live audience is more practitioner based, and then um, patients and lay people and so on and so forth are listening to us later. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that they feel included because they're not the ones that are adding questions live as we go. Hi, patients. Hi. So we started our first, um, our First podcast, I was asking you, if you only had like five frequencies that you could use, what would they be? And we kind of struggled with that because there's a lot.
1: Well, it's inflammation, torn and broken, stop bleeding. Like if you were on a desert island. and you Okay. So, hey, pause.
0: so this is exactly my question. You were on a desert island and I'm not going to make you choose frequency pairs. I'm going to let you choose. Um, programs that we have in our um, custom care mode bank. So I'm going to let you pick four of your top. So you have a custom care, you know, you're going to an Island. You can't reprogram on the fly. What four
1: are you choosing? I wouldn't go to the Island.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's like when I asked my kids, you know, like you have three magic wishes. What are they? Well, to wish for our wishes. Like you can't say that. Okay. Um,
1: probably concussion and vagus. Yeah. That one. But then you have to have plain concussion because there are times when you don't want to turn the vagus on. So that's like difficult. Yes. Um, it's a toss up between acute soft tissue and wound healing. So if you could merge the two of those, that would be a thing. torn and broken in the connective tissue. Okay. And that's, that's just a single frequency combination. Yeah. That covers most ligaments, even tendons, ligaments, tendons, connective tissue.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if you're on a desert Island, you really want to have acute fracture. Yep. That's when you don't want to be without um, if you're on a desert island, you don't need emotional relax and balance because, you know, you got the ocean, you got the, <laughs> fish, you got the sun. It's just the stress of,
0: you know, that wild animals and not being rescued and but you have concussion in Vegas for that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And okay. is that four? I think that's probably six. Um, but <laughs> what if, okay, let's add, let's change Let's change the dynamic. You're on a desert island, but you're not deserted. There is um, many people.
1: So you're supposed to take care of many people? Maybe. Hmm.
0: I'm just trying to throw um, one of my other favorites at you, which would be immune support or our cold yeah. flu, like our virus stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Cold and flu for sure. Yeah. Yep. I would go with that. Um, Yeah, you win. Okay. No,
0: no, it's not about winning. So the reason why I'm going with this is um, I've seemed to have been like setting up a lot of patients on custom cares lately. And what I do as a practitioner is when I have a patient that's come in to see me for a long time, I take it for granted that they know how to use a custom care because they've rented it from me before, or I've gifted it over a weekend, But when they purchase one and they have their own, it seems that I need to go through a whole new set of like counseling with them because I, you know, sometimes they go from having three, um, programs or five to, okay, I'm going to give you 20 because this is yours. So I guess the other, um, where I want to kind of go with the programming is when you have a new patient that comes to see you and decides to purchase a custom care, how many programs do you give them
1: right oh, off of that? When they first come in and they they purchase a custom care. Yeah. They own the unit. I own the prescription. So yes. I set it to outdate in a month or two. Right. And they get five to ten that are immediately useful for their particular can get condition. Right, right. And they graduate from care and they're either moving to another country or I know I'm not going to be seeing them for a year yeah I'll put 35 or 40 on there and I have an excel sheet that has direct where I've written directions so for all of the programs that I use routinely like there's 50 or 60 of them I've written the directions, use this protocol when. So for post-operative hip, post-operative, whatever, um, uh, fracture, wound healing, skin um, anti-aging, extremity joint, joint pain, neck pain. Neck pain and low back pain are different because neck pain, you have a spinal cord and low back pain, there's no cord. There's just nerves and facets and discs, Um, asthma, liver support, kidney support. Um, So they will get shingles. Everybody leaves with shingles on their unit. Everybody leaves with fracture because when somebody breaks a bone, you can't, you don't have, you want it on them within four hours of the time of the fracture. So that has to be on there. A general post, like a post-op hip, it can sort of generalize to any post-operative limb. Knee is a little bit different. Um, shoulder is a little bit different, but the tissues in general are similar. Yeah. So I'll put one post-op sequence on there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, everybody gets wound healing, everybody gets skin anti-aging, everybody gets shingles, everybody gets sunburn. Mm. Um, Everybody that lives in Australia or Germany gets hangover. (laughs) We just did a meeting with a software designer who is in Australia and he was looking at our mode bank and he said, do you have a protocol for hangover? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, that protocol was designed, It was written in Australia on the last day of our five-day core, because the night of the fourth day, we had a big banquet and karaoke night.
0: Oh, fun.
1: And there were two, there was one girl that was so hungover. She was not, you know how you can't lift your head up and yeah. your room is spinning and you're nauseated and you have a headache and right. So we ran liver support. Because yeah. the girl next to her was a naturopath, and of course it's her liver yeah. that made her head immediately to the restroom. And um, so she came back, she's like, Well, that didn't work. It's like, well, the same, it's actually the same thing as with chemotherapy. Chemotherapy makes you nauseated because the effect of the toxins on the medulla and the midbrain.
0: Right.
1: It has nothing to do with your stomach and the same thing with a hangover. The toxins created by the alcohol metabolism affect your brain, not your stomach. Right? So we ran the three frequencies for toxicity, combined with the medulla three frequencies for toxicity combined with the midbrain. And she was asleep in 10 minutes. And when she woke up at the 30 minute Mark it's all better. That's
0: crazy. So it it makes sense, right? And maybe you could even like infuse the water and then you could hydrate them at the same time because hangover patients, hangovers are you're dehydrated for sure. So interesting. So
1: that's so it really depends when we send practitioners, when we send patients who are military people who go to places where they can't tell you where they're going and they're doing things where they can't tell you what they're doing. Yeah. They have um, fractures, soft tissue injury, uh, concussion, concussion in the different brain parts, um, wound healing, acute laceration, fracture, all of the sorts of things. And and then we know we're not going to see them again. Yeah. So they pack it and take it in their go bag. Right. So you customize what you send them out with, but I'll Once I know they're off on their own and I'll put 30 or 40, but I send it with an instruction sheet where in the instruction line, it tells them what it's for, when to use it, how long to use it, where to put the pads, all that stuff is included in that. Is that what you meant?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think um, that's helpful Um, for our practitioners that are listening, because it can be overwhelming setting a device up for a patient. There's so many options and um, it's overwhelming for us as practitioners sometimes to set them up. And it's overwhelming for the patient. If they're not used to using a custom care, if you give them something with 45 protocols right off the bat, they're going to get overwhelmed and it's going to end up in the back of their closet. Um, so I think you said it right. If you, if that patient is somebody that comes to see you regularly, give them five, 10 to start off with as they're getting more and more savvy and they realize what to use and when then give them a couple options. But yeah, if you have a patient that, you know, you're not going to see, um, for me, for my athletes, I get all devices back in whatever off season they are. I set up a zoom call. I make sure that I'm doing all the tweaking that I need to, and I give it to them for the year. So it'd be the same thing. You want a ton, the acute soft tissue fracture. Those are so important that they have that, um, like emergency first aid kit, pretty much re- ready to go, um, Those protocols, I've never really had to tweak. You don't have to pull anything out. Everything that is on that software is perfect. So you leave that alone. And then, yeah, the immune support, you know, the virus stuff, like you said, like those things I I tend to.
1: Well, and I modified, we had common cold sinus and common cold throat. Yeah. What I found was when you do common cold sinus, it's like it chases it down to the throat. So I just made, I combined them and did Common Cold Combo. And that's in the new software, but it's it's a, a user program that I created. The other thing is for the average patient, subacute facet and subacute disc is what we get. There's hardly ever a time when you need to stop bleeding. And right, the average patient is... Yeah, it's that disc thing, like I lifted something, and it's acute on chronic. Yes. So that's what we've named week one to week four or subacute. And that's mostly, I don't, I can't remember the last time I put chronic disc or chronic facet. Thank you. It's always acute on chronic. Yeah. Because chronic, yeah. Yeah
0: chronic to me in that scenario it is almost asymptomatic, right? When yeah. they're coming to see you there, there's a, it's flared up, right? Something right. that's chronic is actively, um, yep. causing, causing pain and symptoms. Um, yes, good. So we have all the software stuff that I wanted to talk about. moving right along. And we kind of are segueing organically as we typically always do. So we're talking about something who has a chronic condition, maybe doesn't have pain. So that's why we're treating things in that subacute, um, Mm -hmm. uh, program, but let's talk about when there's not pain because the last seven podcasts that we've done, we talk a lot about when there's pain and that's typically when patients come to see you because there's pain unless there's not pain. And pain is, um, as you know, it's subjective. When I think of my athletes, my firefighters, my law enforcement, even certain personality types, they are not going to admit something hurts them to the level that they feel. And granted, everybody's pain tolerances are different, so I think it's important that we talk about using other kind of measures as opposed to a pain scale to measure progress.
1: When I send new patient paperwork, I always send them neck and low back oswestry, which or taos, you can Mm -hmm. do one. Um, And that measures function. Yes. And that's the thing. The other thing that I do is when a fireman, football player, professional athlete, um, even former fireman, policeman, athlete, their pain score is, if they tell you it's a four, it's a six. If they tell you if it's a five, it's a seven. And they, it's not that they're lying, it's that they suppressed the part of their brain that suppresses pain works so well um that you just in my in my head i know that it's it's different so the other way to approach that is so what are you having trouble doing yes right so that's a, sh- a verbal oswestry Yeah. So the oswestry quantifies it and you have a number yeah but uh, what are you what are your treatment goals what do you want to be able to do I want to be able to put my shoes on. Okay. That gives you an idea of where they are. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and, um, the hard one for me is where the physical doesn't match the, the, the physical exam, the physical findings, reflexes, sensation, range of motion, muscle strength, doesn't match what the patient reports. So the patient has normal reflexes, normal sensation, appropriate range of motion, but she's somehow convinced that she's got a tethered cord or upper cervical instability and she can't and her arms are so weak that she can't cut vegetables that's where i have trouble and i think that's pretty rare i don't run into that very often right so i'm gonna (laughs) that one out okay stream
0: yeah right um One thing that I've encountered with that kind of demographic that we talked about, um, athletes, uh, firefighters, police officers, paramedics, um, certain CEOs, kind of, they all kind of will fall into the same sort of um, phylum of I'll deal with the pain later, I have a job to do. Um, I'll even put moms um, into that category. So like I said, there's certain people that Um, and when you say, well, okay, nothing's hurting. What, what can I help you with? Why are you here? What do you want to get back to doing? Whether it's an activity, putting their coat on, um, and then you start treating them. And then I will hear time and time again, I didn't realize what it is like to be out of pain, or I didn't, I just got so used to that feeling or not moving. I thought that was normal.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: And then sometimes you have a, a pretty substantial emotional kind of fallout after because either they get mad for the time that they lost or so on and so forth. So I think it's important, and this is going to segue into one of my other um, comments that we got is your intake has to, change and it it has to expand and multiply and grow because i think we're you're going to start dealing with more and more whether it's um functional biomechanics whether it's taking um, their complete history because what did we hear over the weekend the mystery is in the history
1: Uh, oh my god well it's the other thing that i found is i do i have a a fairly simple intake sheet. Then I do, I actually don't read it. Then I do a verbal history, but I ask patients now to do a linear dated history. So the patient had this happen in 1989 and then this happened in 1991 and then 1993 auto accident. And then All of the other things that the patient's current complaint falls out after the 1993 auto accident. Mm. I took the patient to the 1993 auto accident. She said, well, if we talk about that, we won't have time to talk about all the other things. And I said, well, all the other things didn't happen until the 1993 thing. So let's go back to where it started. So the dated history, that's the place to start. Yes. And then, um, so you, where did it start? And then, then things fall out into all of this is vagal dysfunction. And all of this, the anxiety, the depression, the fatigue, dis, dizziness, well, does the room spin? No, I just don't know where I am in space. You have a, so this was my first Zoom patient. You have a vestibular injury. A what? Tell me how you were hit in that accident. It was a 40 mile an hour head-on collision um, followed by a side impact and my head was turned. And she is exhausted. She has trouble reading. She doesn't know where she is in space. So her first before she even sees me, she's going to an FCOVD optometrist. And I have questionnaires now for the Rivermead Head Injury Questionnaire and the Brain Injury Visual System Symptoms Questionnaire. So I have different questionnaires based on the patient's symptoms and complaints. And, And then, so, going back to what you said, you do the intake history, you treat X and the second visit, most of X is gone. Right. right. If you guessed right, mm-hmm. and then, then there's Y. So now my neck is fine, but my mid back and my shoulder bother me. Of course they do, not a problem. And then you fix the shoulder, and the next time they come back, it's their chest or their low back. So each time they see you, there's a subjective part of your notes. And each visit, there's 10 to 15 minutes dedicated to, so when did this start bothering you, right? And the emotional component, you're absolutely correct, especially fibromyalgia patients or abdominal adhesion patients that have had three surgeries they didn't need in the first place. Right. And you, there's there's a, a predictable pattern of emotional response. There's um, anger, which they feel guilty about. So you're tre- treating anger and resentment at the same time and that is layered under that is grief for what they've lost but the the first stage is anger at the people that couldn't help them anger at themselves sometimes for having gotten into this mess and saying yes to the three surgeries they didn't need yeah and resentment because nobody understands them, and nobody nobody could help them, and then grief because I lost 17 years of my life. Right. So because of my background, and it's, this is for practitioners as well as patients, it's the only way I keep my sanity treating the patients that I treat, right? It's like, okay, everything that comes into your life, has a gift. There is something you are supposed to learn. It doesn't mean it's convenient, doesn't mean it's comfortable, but it teaches you something.
0: Yeah.
1: So because you have had this hip, knee, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, because you've had this for 15, 17 years, you learned something, right? And they look at you like you're from Mars. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, you learned that the world will not come to an end if you don't take out the trash. Well, yeah. And the, you learn to accept help from your husband, partner, kids, friends. Well, yeah. Did you know that before? No. Would you have learned that if it wasn't for this? Oh, n- n- I guess not. And I say, now. If we're lucky, you get to keep and you have more empathy. How do you feel when you see someone walking with a limp going down the street? How do you feel when you see someone leaning up against a building to rest? You feel differently than you would have felt 15, 20 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. I just, I feel sorry for him. Yeah. Whereas before you might've been a little, you know, buck up, butto. And so now if we're lucky, you get to keep all the wisdom and get rid of the pain or the condition. And that's, it's called reframing in my world. You just reframe it so they can see it from a different perspective and it helps them through the emotional phase. So when we treat fibromyalgia patients, you treat them twice a week for four to six weeks, and then once every two to three, four, two to four weeks after that. And all of the fibromyalgia patients that stuck with treatment recovered in four months. A good portion of that four months was the emotional getting used to not being a patient, getting getting reconditioned and getting caught up to where their bodies are in the recovery process, Mm -hmm. but there's, I mean, the challenge with FSM is we change things so fast. It's, there's no, there's no analogy to it in medicine.
0: No. Right. No, it's true. Um, One of the, to stay on this for a little while, one of the comments um, I got from a practitioner was, all of a sudden, I feel not qualified to treat patients anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, I get that because you go from this, um, before you take the course, you go from, you, you have a very safe scope of practice, right? And you you know, that you touch muscle and you stretch muscle and you strengthen muscle or, you know, whatever it is. And then you take the core and you're thinking about vestibular and abdominal things and, um, digestion and chemotherapy and hangovers and, um, chemical exposure. And you do, there's something very, um, earth shaking after you take that core, because you feel that you need to know more it's intimidating it it, it can be and this is the whole like you're welcome and i'm so sorry (laughs) because and i've always said like out of all the training i've ever received these courses have been um the big pivotal ones because it forces you to research a bit more your intake goes from one page to four um So I'm going to just share what I've done a little bit with my practice, where if I had a new patient, I'd maybe have um, an hour and a half, you know, and I typically run my sessions um, 75 minutes. So I'd be like, "Hey, new patient, 90 minutes, do my assessment, blah, 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 blah. I don't, you can't do that because there's so much history that you need. So I've changed my new patients have to do a zoom call with me first or a verbal phone call that way, because I Don't have a background in pharmaceuticals. I don't have a background in functional medicine. I I don't have a background in a lot of different things, but I need to know basics. So I feel like if you are like me and maybe you are a bit of a slow learner or need some more time, or your practice is really busy and you don't have three hours for a new patient, do a new patient intake over the phone or a zoom call. That way you've got a couple days to kind of sift through the information. I'm kind of like you, I like to see a linear chart. Um, and that was just learning the hard way of having a patient that, um, I'll talk about in a minute, but I had to go back years and I wasted five appointments with her until I could be like, Hey, why am I failing? Okay. Scrap it. Go back to the beginning. What did I miss? What surgery did you have? What reaction? What illness? So, Um, if you need time to, you know, look up medication and side effects, I mean, you're very lucky you have a background in, you know, pharmaceutical. So you know, certain, at least classes that could cause certain side effects. Majority of us, especially, you know, in physical medicine, we don't, you know, so that-
1: (laughs) There's no reason you should. I mean, no,
0: but like, so I said, if you do, I mean, you're, if you and I are are screening the same new patient, you could be like, oh, they were on gabapentin. So this could have this and this can have that, or this is why, this is why they were prescribed that me. I'd have to write it down, look it up. Okay. This is what's happening. So I used to think I don't have time to do these zoom calls, but it actually turned out to be a big time saver so that when they are in the clinic with me, I have a, better foundation to start from because I have a better history. So um, I get it. You feel like you're not qualified anymore. Um, But you, another thing I want to say too, is you don't have to be an expert in all these branches, but I would advise you to find an expert in all these branches. So you and I were talking about vestibular stuff. Yes, you should be able to screen for it, or at least to have enough information to identify where vestibular could be in place, but that's not your job is to treat it.
1: No. Well, in point of fact, we can't treat it. And the only reason I talk about it is that there's one frequency pair that vestibular patients react to. That's the only reason I include it. But there are key phrases that make you identify. And that part's easy. All of medicine is pattern recognition, right? Just pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. So the patient says, I have a terrible time reading. I can't read and I have trouble using the computer or I have panic attacks. Those two phrases, 100% of the time are vestibular, 100%. There's no, so then, well, you think they are. So you send them that questionnaire. The other thing is that Contrary to what people are what we're hearing, like I don't feel qualified, I don't have um, I don't get everything in the history. So the patient has low back pain. It's like, well, okay, they just they circle their low back and their hip and maybe the front of their thigh. Well, I've got these charts on the wall: sclerotomal pain, myofascial trigger points, and So I know that if they circle that, I'm looking at either a facet, and I know that because the poster is on the wall, and I put the posters on the wall to pretend that it's so the patient can be educated. In point of fact, it's so I don't forget that that pattern goes with that joint and that pattern goes with that muscle. So I put my hands on the patient and their, so, their left psoas lights up like a Christmas tree. You touch it and they flinch. It's like, okay, number one, the psoas should never be that tender. So then you ask, because it's no place in the history. And I don't ever ask anybody, did you ever had a kidney infection or a kidney stone? Until I put my hands in their psoas and it, they jump, and then you, then you say, ah, did you ever have a kidney stone? Oh yeah, in whatever year. Did you ever have a kidney infection? Well, no, I had a really bad bladder infection. So I didn't get that in the history, but I found it with my hands. And then you need to look at, okay, where did that go? Psoas is never, ever, ever the problem.
0: Never. Sorry
1: for all of the psoas people that are convinced it's the muscle, it's the ureter. And then once you find the ureter, then you're pretty sure that if you reach around the back and you feel the QLs, they're gonna be like a brick. Why on earth would that particular muscle be a brick? Only on the left. right? Okay, then you ask them, did you ever fall flat on your back? Well, duh, right? Or did you ever have a kidney stone or kidney infection? So you don't always have to get it in the history, right? You find the muscle and then you ask. So the history physical is an organic process. And um, there's like, I remember the French physical therapist that came and talked about thoracic outlet. He is in national healthcare, they have 30-minute appointments. And he had a patient that was scheduled for thoracic outlet surgery. He got her completely recovered in either eight or 10 sessions, 30 minutes a piece, treating disc, nerve, muscle, 30 minutes. Wow. And one of the advantages to FSM is, is like, don't be scared. Treat the obvious first. I mean, Kim and I talk talk a lot about zebras, but almost everything that walks into your office is going to be a pony or a horse, right? right? Sometimes it looks like a horse. We talk about zebras because we get a lot of zebras, but most of the time you can do 80% of what walks in your office with what you learn in the core. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the longer you practice, the more picky and, um, you know, spoiled you get because you get those crazy results and you want to replicate that with every appointment, with every treatment. I want to story tell quick about something that we were just sort of talking about with the history. I had a woman come to me and I wrote this as part of my certification. So I wrote this case report up and I put it in the sports course, even though she wasn't an athlete, it's, it's, important to talk about. This woman had, um, low back pain, um, kind of went lateral across the ilium down the lateral leg, and then would go medial to the knee. Um, she had this pain for, um, she said substantially for four years. And she had seen a PT religiously two times a week for the past year and paid cash twice a week. For an entire year and I said why did you stick with that so long and she said well I'm like you must have had really good results she said no it only maybe got 10 percent better but he told me because I had it for so long I had to keep coming so when I hear you know low back she was in her late 50s early 60s um, would walk in had a walker and or a cane Um, had disc imaging that was pretty normal, um, for that age group. So I started treating, this was new. I was maybe one year into FSM at that point. So back then it was treat the nerve, treat the joint, treat the muscle, right? So treating the core, treating the peripheral nerve would easily take pain down 50%. So that was easy. I could get muscles to soften. And back then too, I was really hell bent on just using musculoskeletal frequencies because that's all I knew. You say it time and time again, you treat the muscle because that's all, you know, how to treat. So I easily got her, I'd say 50% out of pain within five treatments, but it was never sticking. Like she would feel great. And after a day or two pain would jack back up again but she was motivated because at least the pain went down 50%. So that was something already that she hadn't experienced
1: instead of 10%.
0: Exactly. So um, I was treating the psoas in shame um, because that is, that is all we know how to do. Right. And um, I had treated her for abdominal adhesions because I saw in her history that um, five and a half years ago, she had her gallbladder removed. Do you remember this story? This is when I, I think this is when one of the first times I actually called you or texted you. So I knew she had surgery. So I treated for abdominal adhesions, but the old school way, right? So I didn't treat any specific organ because why the heck would I? Because I've never treated a bile duct before or a small intestine or any of that. So even though my point is that even though I had the history, I knew she had her gallbladder out. I thought I treated that because I treated the abdominal adhesions from the surgery, but it wasn't until she started talking about this highly sensitive metal allergy that she has. And then I was looking, she doesn't have anything on her, like zero jewelry. She said it's highly, highly sensitive. So then I'm looking at her MRI and her ultrasound, and you see this giant clip that's in her abdomen. And then that bird tells you she has an allergy to metal and she has a giant clip in her gut. And the symptoms didn't start until 18 months after the surgery. So how that scar tissue could have presented over a year and two years and three years and four years. And yes, she's getting visceral manipulation, but was she treated for allergy? No. So this was cool. This was our sixth appointment. She already knew how the frequencies felt. And then, so it was sort of blinded. I was running, I think this is what I texted you. I'm like, can you have phantom gallbladder pain? Because she doesn't have a gallbladder, but a clip where the gallbladder could be. So I actually ran allergy in the gallbladder um, first, even though she doesn't technically have one. And she said, "Oh, I don't know what you're running, but that feels so good. It feels so warm." And I was like, "No way!" So then. I had to get netters out because I don't know my organ anatomy the way I know my musculoskeletal. So I'm like, okay, hey, what else is over there? What else could be, you know, small bile duct, small like all everything that had attached. I ran allergy nine in, and it got better. Like like zero pain. Um, dropped the walker, dropped the cane. She bought a custom care because we would get her, I think about 10 days out, total, like zero pain. And then it would start coming back. So a patient like this, um, yeah. buying a custom care is probably the only solution. And then it came to the point where she would run this specialized program that we designed, um, once every two weeks just to maintain everything. And it's been eight years and she's still pain-free.
1: Yep. That's it. That's exactly. That's, You get extra points. I would throw chocolate if I could throw it through the air. There you go. It's, there's, and there's no way to explain it until you experience it. Right. I can, I talk about it. It's one of the things that makes the five-day course so awful and so intimidating and so wonderful at the same time, because I, I put all that in, so that you'll know that it's possible but then it's kind of overwhelming but on the other hand if you leave it out you don't know what's possible so you won't even try it right and i'm not going to make people i have a personal prejudice about techniques that make you take five levels before they tell you all the secrets yeah like if if the one course seminar was the only course you ever took You can do 80 to 85% of what walks in the door if you take the five-day core. Yeah. And you just have to watch it 20 times. So we've had practitioners that came to their first core in 1998 and their last core when she retired in 2018. She took the core every single year for 20 years. Yeah. And she said every single time she heard, she heard something new. I might have said something different. And certainly the content has changed over time. Yeah. But yeah. It just, you think a whole different way.
0: And I, I think the greatest shift from the way it's taught now is the, um, prompting to critically think. What is wrong and where is it happening, but how did it get there and what else is around it? So um, it's not just that recipe list, you know, so I, I think that's been the biggest shift probably in the last maybe five, three years that we're, we've been teaching it is. Um, and again, you don't have to know the answer, but just enough to start posing the questions like I have no shame in opening up my netter and going, I just need to take a, a look at what, what is here. You don't need to know where the small bile duct is because you have a book that can show you that you just have to have enough, um, bandwidth to pose the question you mm-hmm. know, and to start thinking. And again, with that patient that I was treating abdominal adhesions, I can do visceral manipulation, but it, it wasn't, why is it scarred? why is there scarring in the gut? Well, I had surgery. No, there's more to it than that. It's because the allergy reaction, like this is yeah. bigger than just something being glued. What do you like for for abdominal adhesions? What frequencies do
1: you um, go with? It's really interesting to the, um, you know, you have netter in front of you and you have, and you have your fingers. So you 13 and 77, the adhesion itself is scarring in the connective tissue. And in that one rat, well, three rats, it just liquefied the adhesions between the bowel and the peritoneum. So 13 and 77 is where I start. Yeah. But then for, for the patients, because back in the day between 97 and 2002 I worked with an OBGYN that would let me sit in or come in on my patient surgeries with her. She would send me patients. So I know in my own surgeries, like, okay, this is weird. I don't want to creep anybody out, but they were going to take out an eight centimeter fibroid off my uterus. And I did not trust two male surgeons and an anesthesiologist to leave my female organs in even though he promised he would, there's that little thing in the consent that says, okay, if you really have to, yes, you can take it out. It's like, I didn't know. So I made them give me an epidural and leave me awake. Okay. Yes. So once. Just
0: when you couldn't be a bigger rock star in my brain, you tell me (laughs) that
1: story. So, um, so once my autonomics settled down after they got everything right? Then the anesthesiologist said, I said, what are you guys doing down there? He said, well, you want me to bring the mirrors? And I went, oh yeah. So he brought the OB mirrors so you could look in the mirror and see what they're doing. And he, there, he, so he said, okay, here's the catheter. There's your bladder. There's your uterus. There's your ovary. Now you see your sigmoid, this is your sigmoid colon. What's it doing? He said, Well, it's attached to your left ovary. It is my sigmoid colon, where it normally would be in the pelvic bowl over there, right? It was midline wrapped around my ovary. So he very carefully went in with scissors and he cut it loose, clawed it, right? And he put the sigmoid back where it belongs. So, and I had seen something similar, but not that overt in a previous surgery. So now I'm palpating this patient and I'm over in the pelvic brim where this sigmoid belongs. Well, by the time you get to the sigmoid, the colon is still pretty liquid. The descending colon should be, you know, about that big. And it's squishy because there's still a bunch of water in the stool content. So you get down to where the sigmoid should be And there's nothing there. And so I had the patient feel. It's like, okay, feel this up here. And she's where the descending is. I said, feel that? Okay, that squishy thing. She's very slender. That squishy thing is your colon. Now feel down here. She puts her fingers there. And she said, there's nothing squishy there. I said, yeah, go over medial until you find something squishy. It's like, what's it doing over there? He said, it's adhered to your left ovary and the bladder,
0: oh.
1: right? So the, the thing that FSM, the, the thing that we teach in the practicums is that soft touch, relax your fingers, put your eyes and your brain at the end of your fingers, get netter in your, I didn't know anatomy until I spent literally five years, 10 hours a day, eight to 15 patients a day with netter open next to me. Okay. So you palpate it, you find the sigmoid. What's it glued to? Well, what else is there? There's the ovary. Oh, there's the tube. There's the bladder. Oh, there's the uterus. And there's the, mm, okay. And you start running the frequencies for scarring in the different organs. And then you switch to the right side and it's, the cecum, the ascending colon, the ovary, the tube, the bladder. So the, your palpation teaches you as much or more than the history. Yeah. So your, your discovery of the metal allergy, we had a similar sort of thing in a patient that had a knee replacement and they could not get her to activate her quadriceps passively the leg would would straighten okay. actively she could not her quadriceps would not engage and it wasn't neurologic we treated the nerve that wasn't it and then there was this okay what is it so i was working with the pt that was working on her and I said, well, if you were the cerebellum, would you let and you're allergic to stainless steel. There's something ridiculous like 743% of the population is allergic to chromium, which is the ingredient in stainless steel.
0: What percentage?
1: It's I looked it up one time, the number that sticks in my head, and it could be wrong, is 43. It's 43, it's huge. Wow. Yeah. 17% of the population is allergic to titanium, surgical grade titanium alloy. Huh. So anyway, so we ran the frequency for metals allergy in the bone marrow. And the bone and the periosteum metallic allergy, 16 Meta- metallic toxin, 16 in the bone, the bone marrow, and the periosteum instantly, 100% strength and in cont- contraction in the quadriceps. She could strengthen her, she could straighten her leg. Amazing. Will the cerebellum let you drive a metal into the bone marrow to which you are allergic? No, no, but. Had I ever in my life done that before? No. No. It's just like, oh, it made perfect sense once I figured it out because nothing else that should have worked, worked. Right. So.
0: This is when we say necessity is a mother of all
1: invention. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, once you figure out that the frequencies always do exactly what they're described as doing. Right. And that took five years and about, I think, 50,000 patient visits, different, different sessions at 90 patients a week, 52 weeks a year for five years. We did the math one time, maybe it was however many 15,000, but it was a lot. And it took that long for me to become convinced that the frequencies always do what they're alleged to do. Right. Even when I don't expect it to work. Right. Yeah. Yes. So. Cause there's that. Yeah,
0: there's that. When I get to some questions on here, make sure that everybody is um, taken I care know. of before we do our, um, our sign off. Now that you mentioned about hangover, do you have any frequencies that you can use to counteract or prevent side effects of medications such as myalgia or body pain from taking Fosamax?
1: Oh, um, yeah. Um, no. Uh, the short version is no, it, not that I've found because Fosamax is not a toxicity. Manette, that's a really good question. Fosamax is, it's not um, a toxicity problem. It's a calcium handling problem. And um, look up the mechanism of muscle pain or body pain from Fosamax and the The answer is to use a different drug because the newer versions of Fosamax have a lower side effect profile. They're more expensive, but they're less toxic. Uh, uh, And the biggest problem with Fosamax, I just heard, I can't remember who was lecturing me. It was Candace Elliott was lecturing me. And she said the research they've done is that the biggest problems with Fosamax happen when the patient has been on it longer than 10 years. If they have the muscle pain or body pain straight off the bat within the first year, they need to take a different drug. That's and and they need to be willing. I think one of our roles is to empower patients to have a conversation with their doctor. Yeah. We listen to them because that's what tells us what to do. And so I have the conversation with the patient. You need to go back to your doctor, and sometimes I just Google it. side effects from, I don't know the side effects of every drug. Yeah, side effects from, and go back to your doctor tell him you're having this muscle pain, mm-hmm. and don't let him get you've just give you flexoril or advil for the muscle pain. Right. Ask him to put you on a different drug. I can do that. What if he gets mad at me? If he gets mad at me, he's mad at you. He's the wrong doctor. Find a different doctor. Yeah. There are six different medications that now do what Fosamax does. Right. So it's okay to ask. He works for you. Right. You pay him. Right. He gets paid because you go back to him. Right. And there's lots more fish in the sea. Mm. So if he does you know? Yes.
0: Good one. Next question. How do you treat a knee that has no pain and no swelling, but very restricted range of motion? I've run your general treatment protocol page 32 of module one and many of the MEND technology knee protocols multiple times with little effect.
1: And that's not what it is. It's like the standard protocols. Um, no pain, no swelling, but restricted range of motion. Number one, following what? Right? Following what? Restricted range, so it won't flex. Or that, extend. Or extend. So for, for me, when the when the leg muscles are really, really tight, so that quads are so tight, yeah. the knee won't bend and the hamstrings are so tight, the knee won't extend. Um, the This is really going to hurt your brain. The, the obvious answer is it comes from the neck and it's 81 and 10. So there is a, a situation called loss of descending inhibition. So if you reach down and you it's usually going, if it's only on one side, then it's a disc bulge usually on the other side of the neck. There is a constant dial tone that comes down the spinal cord to the lower extremities and the body that says, don't increase tone, don't spasm. And if that dial tone is interrupted by a disc bulge in the neck or thoracic spine, then the lower extremity muscles increase tone. It's not spasticity, but it's tone. So if you reach down and you feel that patient's leg, feel the quadriceps, feel the hamstrings, if they're really tight, and they may be tight on both sides, right? No pain, no swelling, but the leg is really tight go up to the groin and the worst one that will be tender will be the pectineus and the adductor brevis. And then the hamstrings are tight. The quadriceps are tight. You put one contact around the neck, one contact around the feet, and you run increased secretions in the spinal cord. And the pattern is the muscles soften up the front. The brevis goes last. abdominals sometimes will relax, then calf muscles and the hamstrings go last. So it goes up the front and then up the back. I don't know why. And then the patient, if, if what you describe is correct, um, it's not the knee. So then what is it? And the, this observation about the t- about tone, it's tone, it's tight, it's not spasticity, it's not cramping, it's tone. And increase in tone will prevent that knee. So the knee is not painful, it doesn't, it's not the knee, okay? Obviously, since you've treated it six times, it's not the knee, muscles move bones. Why are the muscles tight? There's no reason the hamstrings and the quadriceps should both be tight. Where's it coming from? Loss of descending inhibition. I don't spend enough time on it in the core. It's two, three slides maybe, and it has been magic. So that's Patricia, try it. And I don't know anything about what's on, on the mend except that the protocols are a few years old. Um, can I jump in you go I'm counting on it
0: <laughs> so what you said obviously to start that would be my first go-to um, I again something I didn't want to think about right off the bat but um, time and time again it proves me wrong so yeah is this happening on both? is this a bilateral condition when things are bilateral you can bypass all your muscle testing peripheral stuff. You need to go right to the cord or right to a disc that is coming from central nervous system. That is not a peripheral thing. If it's happening on both sides, it's also not a peripheral thing if it's happening in both ranges. So if flexion is restricted and extension is restricted, that means again, that tone is um, abnormal. It's abnormally tight. This isn't an adhesion. This isn't one muscle that's scarred to another muscle. This is, Um, groups of muscles. These are families that are irritated. It's coming from the cord. Um, Number two, if it's happening just on one side, anything that is affecting the knee is being affected by the hip, which is being affected by the sacrum and the low back and the And the cord, right. And the ankle. Uh, I tend to go up first because more often than not um, it is coming more from a pelvic spinal cord sort of situation. And it's easier to kind of rule out than going back down again. So yeah. What range is the knee restricted um, it's quads or it's hamstrings go up and do your
1: hip assessment. Um, The other one scarring in the nerve. Yeah. So if the femoral plexus is adhered between the adductors and the quads. There's no earthly way that the cerebellum is going to let you bend that knee. Just ain't going to happen.
0: Right. And again, this is kind of going back to why we're changing the way the core is being taught, is because now this is a way of thinking. This isn't protocol 124. This is what is happening because throwing, you know, I don't know what page whatever is of whatever. Um, throwing like MFTP at it or whatever, you're cycling through a bunch of protocols where maybe only two minutes of that hour long program is what they need. So bypass it, troubleshoot it. And it's so easy to write a line, whether it's 124 and 77, like torn and broken in the connective tissue, or just putting a one line around their custom care, like scarring in the nerve, like you just said, um, because that's probably going to be the problem or um, something with the cord. Yeah, um, we are out no, of time. Okay. Eh, you know, fine. Because it's all about me today.
1: Did we get? Well, it didn't seem like it's like. Did we get everything off off your list except for happy birthday?
0: My list is never all scratched off. It just kind of. <laughs> goes over to the next week. Um, But yes, we got through all the main things. I think we got the questions answered. The only thing um, people are asking about is um, Arizona um, for our next advanced um, course. And I can't, every year I'm like, I can't wait for it, but I really can't wait for um, Arizona this year. So
1: I'm so excited. That's what I did yesterday was I got the Arizona schedule done. Yeah, And it's worth three days this year because it's the best part about the symposium. One of the best parts besides Jim Oshman and our special speakers is the case reports. So we have effectively two days of advanced. um, David Musnick, you, um, and I'm so excited. Shirley Hartman holds the record. She took the core when it was two days in 1998 or 99. She got lost on the way between the airport and NCNM. So she didn't get there till 10 o'clock and we started at nine. She came in Sunday with the entire core laminate memorized so freaky right yeah her lectures at the advanced over the years have been channel a frequencies you never thought of running Hmm. so we'd be having a, a case presentation and Shirley would say well why don't you run 139 prolapse I said that's a frequency well yeah it's channel a it's right there so Shirley Hartman has um when I first met her in 98, she had beat sarcoma. She had sarcoma in her left shoulder. So she, she beat that. And with just a simple surgery, she avoided all the other bad things. Two years ago, maybe three, two years ago. Anyway, she got pancreatic cancer. And then she got stage four pancreatic cancer. With metastasis too, right? Shirley did all of the alternative stuff, vitamin C IVs, and all of the things she's going to tell us about. She did FSM, she did chemotherapy, but she argued with her oncologist and did her own literature search. This chemotherapy has the best outcomes in this particular kind of tumor, so we're going to negotiate and. Long story short, she ended up, the tumor was big enough that she had a Whipple, which is completely rerouting your digestive system to remove your pancreas. She has zero, zero circulating tumor cells. Wow! And Shirley Hartman is going, I've got goosebumps. I've been holding my breath for the last two years, waiting to know what happened to Shirley. Shirley Hartman is going to do 90 minutes on the combination of conventional medical treatment, alternative medical treatment and FSM in the treatment of cancer. And she's going to tell us how she survived. And wow. there is a blood test that you can do on yourself for circulating tumor markers that will show tumor markers four years before cancer ever shows up. Wow. So Shirley Hartman is 90 minutes.
0: And you better not have anybody up against her. You better just- No, be no, no, just no, no,
1: no, no. These are, these oh. are okay. combined tracks. Um, uh, John Resky is the prism optometrist, the FCOVD that treated it's, treats my patients and me. I have many ears. So, Rescue is doing 90 minutes, and that will include a demo about. I told him to bring his fake lenses and prism glasses so you can see the way they change my gait. Awesome. Right. And then, William Clearfield is coming from Reno, and he will lecture on the endocrinologic effects of traumatic brain injuries. So, people wonder, okay, I treated this patient for concussion and stroke and why aren't they better? Because sometimes it's more than that. So these are sort of stable state lectures. And then Sunday is almost all case reports, except I'm trying to gather a panel of people that um, talk about how how do you use FSM in practice? If we did an-
0: that a couple of years ago. I think it was valuable to have some different, you know, Cairo acupuncturist, MD, just to how to integrate it.
1: Yep. And so Yay. that was really popular. So yes, Phoenix. And we will do in-person and live stream. We've got our cameraman. Um, and Kevin will handle the live stream part. And we have a cameraman from Phoenix that will do B-roll and crowd shots. And questions and answers so I'm just so excited to be moving again and gathering the community and Arizona has no limits right now on on size so we have the whole ballroom Um, we can have any place from 100 to 250 in that room
0: yeah
1: um and they there are no vaccine requirements you can do whatever you're comfortable with some people wear masks some people don't and those of you that can't travel that are in Europe or in parts of the United States where you don't want to travel um, will do the, the, it will be live stream. People that will be doing virtual uh, presentations, Ben Catholi from Cincinnati Children's, Dave Burke, um, I think Laura Kyles, those will be pre-recorded. We're not going to take a chance on Zooming them live. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, Some of most of them will be in person, but some will be live. I'm just, I can hardly wait for Phoenix. I'm so excited. Me too. I'm going to
0: add the sports course. The next live sports course is also during the advanced, I think February 22, 23. And then we have the new sports master's or advanced class, which is a one day following the sports course. Um, So yeah, it's going to be first time. I know. It's so exciting to gather
1: yeah get the family right. together again and i get to feed everybody i'm italian that's like i gotta feed
0: everybody right? and we love to eat so it yeah. works for everybody all right we are out of over time. and out yeah <laughs> another fabulous wednesday got it all all right. Right, everybody. bye everybody talk to you soon
1: love ya bye. the frequency specific microcurrent podcast has been produced by frequency specific seminars for entertainment educational and information purposes only The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.